The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is proud to present the NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. The NSCAA is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From education to networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Go to NSCAA.com to learn more about the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's your host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and welcome to another edition of the NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap. So glad you are with us, and truth be told, I am so glad that we continue to spread our wings as promised, mind you, to cover all aspects of soccer in this country. That was the charge given to me by the good folks at the NSCAA, like Ashley Goodrich, Kurt Austin, Sean Chevro, Lynn Burling Manuel, Ian Barker, Jeff Van Dusen, Rob Keogh, to name just a few. And that is a charge I take very seriously. In that spirit, this week we take a look at U.S. club soccer, specifically their 2017 ID2 national selection team that etched their name in history this past month. Their head coach, Jerry McCune, will join us off the top to talk about that team and their experience overseas. Pretty amazing what U.S. club soccer has done to prepare the future stars of our country. You will like my visit with Coach McCune, including his nice comments about what the NSCAA has meant to him and his development. And after we spend time talking U.S. club soccer and this team's success at the Mediterranean International Cup, known as the MIC, we will continue our theme of club soccer, but we go a little different route. Several Colleges and universities have club teams in addition to their varsity teams, but only one college club team plays in the PDL as a semi-pro team, and that is Brigham Young University. Brandon Gillum played for the BYU program, was an assistant coach for several years at BYU, and now he is the head coach, and he talks about why BYU made the decision to join the PDL and what it means for his student-athletes. Enjoyable conversation with Coach Gillum, who will also coach a team at the World University games coming up in a few months so again with the theme to do something different every week we get started with u.s club soccer's very successful coach jerry McCune after this message from team snap want 15 extra hours each week Team Snap can help give it to you. Their customers save tons of time every week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. Now, once again, here's Dean Linky. Thanks, Team Snap, and welcome back to the NSCA podcast. So when you visit the U.S. Club Soccer website, you see right away that their mission statement is clear. U.S. club soccer will foster the growth and development of soccer clubs throughout the United States to create the best possible development environment for all players of all ages in every club. And further to that, U.S. club soccer makes it clear that they plan and expect to be an integral part of the U.S. national team success for men and women. What a mission, what a vision, and they do just that, and they have success. In fact, the U.S. club soccer 2017 ID2 national selection team successfully etched their name in history. After competing in the Mediterranean International Cup known as the MIC back in April, they accomplished some incredible feats. They 
became the only team to have no goals allowed in regulation throughout the tournament. And for the first time ever, a U.S. team went through to the quarterfinals of the MEC. The group of 18 hand-picked elite stars represent 11 U.S. states and two countries from some of the top youth domestic clubs such as Matchfit Academy, PDA, Sacramento Republic FC, San Jose Earthquakes, and so many more. Leading that team was Jerry McCune, the ID2 coach and boys program director, and he is kind enough to join me now. Coach McCune, thanks for being with us. And thank you for having us. Before we get into what happened at the MIC, talk about uh, what it's like to work for U.S. club soccer. Well, I think I'm very fortunate and I have uh, one of the, the most fun jobs at U.S. club soccer uh, where I'm not so much involved in day-to-day office work, but more so on the uh, recruitment and scouting of players to essentially provide four camps uh, a year, two on the East Coast, two on the West Coast. We host 60 players at each camp, and from those camps, we select a team to travel internationally. Historically, we've gone to uh, Europe. We've also spent one trip in Argentina, and we're hoping to continue our travels. The debate would be currently whether we go to individual countries to play the best clubs or we continue with international tournaments. So right now, that's kind of going to shape where we will go next year. Okay, before we get into the highlights of the ID2 Mediterranean Tour, paint the picture. How long ago was it? Where were you? in the world. I'm sure it was a beautiful place. Tell us exactly where you were. We traveled to Spain. We we trained in a town north of Barcelona called Girona, which is uh, an old cobblestone street, beautiful walled city where we were able to find training facilities and got a scrimmage there. And then from there, we went to Plata Diora, which is on the coast. And all of the games from the MIC tournament take place in that seacoast area at different facilities uh, from the local clubs. So the local clubs participate as well as the bigger teams such as Barcelona and obviously some other international teams into Milan and others. All right, now the picture is painted. I can see you over there in Spain, such a beautiful part of the world. Okay, let's get going. What were the highlights of the ID2 Mediterranean Tour, Coach? Well, the highlight for me was how quickly this group became a team. Obviously, the game shaped it, but the boys bought in very early in terms of it's very difficult within six days to become from a selection to a team, but they all pretty quickly bought into the giving up the I and becoming a group of we, and that enabled us to be cohesive defensively and also they had a lot of fun attacking. We knew that we were going to be able to attack. We weren't so sure if we could become uh, a unified group to defend. So that was a challenge, and, and they met it and, and surpassed all of our expectations with that. Certainly the whole squad performed admirably in advancing the furthest of any U.S. team to date. Any standout performers from the tour? Going through the roster, every guy played, every guy contributed. We had a few players who I thought did very well. We had an 0-4 playing a year up, a boy from Hawaii, Logan Calpito, who we used in many roles, primarily defensively. He he played as a right back. He also played as a number six uh, defensive midfielder. And uh, in the Inter Milan game, we used Logan to mark their best player who was a left winger. And he shut him down uh, very well. Cameron Dunbar from Chula Vista was outstanding going forward. We had Diego Luna, who scored a bunch of goals and played as our number nine. Very crafty player. He he was exceptional from uh, just matching the skill levels of any of the teams that we played. From 
leadership standpoint, we had Daniel Edelman, who was just a warrior. He's about five foot one and just got, got into tackles that he had no place belonging in. Uh, he was exceptional, both breaking up plays and connecting passes in the midfield. We had Josh Negret from Clifton, New Jersey. Each team was allowed two older players six months above the 2003 age limit. So he was one of those selections and he was the captain and did a great job holding all the guys together and being mature. And in times of chaos, he seen uh, opportunities to just remain calm and keep everybody composed so I thought he did a great job as well but I think the whole group was fantastic both goalkeepers did a great job Santiago Davila did well and also we had Gavin Kornecki who played certainly in the knockout stages he played a bulk of the minutes now let's go a little deeper into that and you touched on a little bit but what was the selection process like to join this team twofold one is players are actually scouted in person from various tournaments various games that we're able to watch we have a network of scouts throughout the country that we trust and people who have been nominating players for over 10 years so we have a a bunch of people who know what the level is and are able to recommend players based on our criteria which is pretty straightforward the first thing we're looking for is technical ability the second thing is personality third would be tactical awareness and and just being uh, good in transition both ways and then fourth, I think we obviously have to throw in athleticism, but I think at this age it's not so important given that many of these boys are going through changes and will look very different at age 17 athletically. Jay, were there scouts present at this event, and did any of the boys impress the scouts? There were scouts present, and I think, yeah, of course our guys impressed scouts because we matched every team that we played, and then the last game against Inter Milan, I think, had the game gone longer on the field of play, uh, I think that a game we would win. They reverted to a 4-2-3-1 at the end of the game with 10 minutes left to make sure that they didn't give any anything away and made sure that the game got to penalties. So I think we had them on the ropes a little bit and certainly the scouts who are watching all these uh, European clubs uh, a bunch of our guys caught their eye for sure. All right, let's educate folks listening to the NSCA podcast presented by Team Snap. How does the ID2 program and U.S. club soccer as a whole help to develop soccer talent in America? I think the camps are the biggest outlet. We want to make the camp so it's basically 13 year olds and it's a year before any of our national team programming begins. So we're we're kind of giving them a snapshot of what it would look like over a four-day period to be in a high-level camp with players of similar ilk in terms of talent and, and ability. So uh, we put them through two training sessions a day. We have lectures at night. We tell them the expectations and, and, and requirements for each position. We educate them about nutrition, about recovery, about the importance of rest and sleep at these ages. So we're just trying to set the table for those who can succeed and and obviously uh, flourish uh, as they go forward. Outstanding breakdown. Now, got to put some pressure on you. Is the success of the IDT team in Spain a reflection of soccer's growth in America, Jerry? Yeah, I think clearly. and, and, And look, for years, we've been traveling now for a number of years, I think since 2010, probably overseas. And we clearly can compete with the best professional teams 
at this level. Now, granted, this is our top guys from, from our country. However, when we play Real Madrid and we play Barcelona and we play Ajax, one could argue that this is the best youth players in their countries and if not worldwide because of the canvas that they set their net out pretty far. They get the best young talent available. So I think at this age, we clearly can compete. I think the question would be what happens to our guys after age 13, 14, and what happens to them. And I think their players play more seriously. It becomes a little bit of a job for them in that there's always they're always looking to replace and to, to replenish their squad and to get better. And our guys probably have other interests and take the game a little less seriously. So I, I think, yeah, uh, technically we can compete at these ages. It's, you know, how committed they come to the sport afterwards because our guys have so many options and so many other things that they could do and spend their time with and the club system is obviously a little bit different well said and uh after the great success at the mid what does u.s club soccer hope to achieve in the coming months and years well i, I think selfishly i would like to go back to the mic next year and see if we can go farther i think we you know we're a penalty kick away from the semifinal, and we would have gotten a great game there against barcelona and if we, you know, get a bounce of the ball here or there, maybe we can get to the final and maybe we can win this. So many ABCs in the world of soccer, as you know. This is your chance to just fill in the blank. U.S. club soccer is great for the landscape of U.S. soccer because of why? Well, I think this particular program was established so that our young players don't have to spend a lot of money to get a look or possibility of joining our national team programs. That's why the, the program was uh, created, um, because the old system was that you had to play on your state team, then if you were good enough, you played on your regional team, and then maybe you got to look for the national team. But all of those things, unfortunately, cost money, and the better you were, the more money it cost you. So it was kind of a very unusual a model for youth soccer in the world. In fact, very different. I think in other countries, these players never have to spend any money to play the game. Finally, Jerry, speaking of ABCs, you're here on the NSCAA podcast presented by Team Snap. And of course, the NSCAA continues to play such a great role in the development of coaches. Talk a little bit about what the NSCAA has meant to you. Well, personally, uh, I think uh, the programming and the education that's provided by the NCAA uh, has been outstanding, and it's uh, an alternative model to the federation programming, and I think we can always learn, and I think there's more than one way to educate and to coach, and I think that we need to embrace uh, our differences, and I think some of the educational pieces that, that have been provided in the past have been outstanding and there's so many people who have learned the game and, and learned to love the game through the through these these coaching models. What a wonderful breakdown a wonderful guest Jerry McCone the ID2 coach and boys program director for US Club Soccer getting it done at the Mediterranean International Cup the MIC rather the incredible success congratulations the only team to have no goals allowed in regulation throughout the tournament and the first time ever a US U.S. team went through to the quarterfinals of the MIC. Jerry, it's a pleasure spending time with you. We're going to circle back with you and uh, follow your success somewhere down the road. I hope that's okay. Appreciate that, and thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry McCune. And coming up next, Brandon Gillum, the head coach of the BYU club soccer team that plays in the PDL. Want 15 extra hours each week? 
Team Snap can help give it to you. Their customers save tons of time every week on communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. The NSCAA's resource library has become the online resource of choice for soccer coaches. NSCAA members find training plans, specific activities, exercises, informative articles, and so much more. It's just one more benefit of membership. Go to nscaa.com to learn more. Now, here's Dean. I want to thank Jerry McCune from U.S. Club Soccer and congratulate him on all of his success in the Mediterranean Tournament getting it done at the club level and speaking of club level i'm so pleased to introduce our next guest brandon gillum has been a part of the byu men's soccer program for 15 years brandon joined the program in 2002 as a freshman he was a starter for four years and was number one in the nation for pdl as a goalkeeper his final year brandon quickly transitioned from a player to a coach in 2008 as an assistant brandon had a hand in every aspect of the program from player development to player selection to merchandise scheduling and so much more coach gillum was will bring all this experience with him as he takes on the new role of BYU men's head coach and continues the traditions of the BYU men's program. And why that's interesting is BYU is a club program. It is not a college soccer program. And here to explain exactly what that means and his time at BYU, it's obviously been great, is in fact Brandon Gillum. Brandon, thanks for being with us. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. All right, so let's get right into it, particularly coming off uh, our visit with U.S. Club Soccer. I mean, this is a club program, not a university-sanctioned team. Tell us what that means. Yeah, so we still abide underneath our university, but we're not a fully funded athletic program here on campus. And so we hold the title of the university's name and we function here on campus, but the level of support as a, a fully functioning Division One program isn't the same. For a number of years, we competed in the collegiate club level. And then uh, back in uh, 03 is when we joined the PDL to just increase the level of competition that we were playing in and to get more experience for our players. On the men's side, I don't know how many club programs there are. I know there's several women club programs across the country at different colleges. How big is club soccer on the men's side? I know it's pretty large. Here in Utah, we only have one Division One program, um, a couple Division Twos, and a couple junior colleges. But then we have uh, a number of, of club programs here in the state. And then California, I know, has a ton. So I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what the number is. But when we were in it, I mean, they have a national championship each year. Um, out of 10 years, I think we were either in the finals of that national championship around seven or eight times and held all over the place. We were in Alabama and Georgia and California. So they, it moves around quite a bit. So I know that the league is pretty large. Um, and there's a lot of schools on that side. Of it, and I think there's even a lot of schools that do basically their Division One program and then a second tier club level for people to play in as well. A story written by Perry Davis last April. I'm going to read the first few paragraphs and then let you kind of follow up with it about you. It says, the sport of soccer is much more than a dream for many people around the world. It's a way of life. As kids grow up watching their favorite players, kicking the ball back and forth in the streets, on a field, or anywhere, they can find open space. They experience a feeling of liberation, freedom, and fulfillment that cannot be experienced any other way. Brigham Young University's head coach, Brandon Gillum, fits that description, where at a young age, he fell in love with the sport of soccer and since then has never turned his back. As a 32, 33-year-old husband, father, entrepreneur, 
soccer training and head coach of the only semi-professional college soccer team in the nation. He carries a unique workload. The life of Brandon Gillum is far different than any other soccer coach. As a matter of fact, it could arguably be stated that no coach does what he does. That's right, not one. What does he mean by that exactly, Perry Davis? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a unique role. Our program's not fully funded, right? So I'm here running this program as, as a part-time employee, and so that means I have another full-time job to the side of that. And so it just takes a lot of passion. I mean, BYU gave me a lot as a player. Um, I believe in the way that it's set up, the function of being in the PDL. I believe in that model. And so I give a lot back to make sure that it's successful. But at the same time, as soon as that's done, I have to go and I have to fulfill a full-time job that uh, can take care of my family as well. And so it's a balancing aspect um, and an aspect that you have to have a lot of desire to want to do um, because it can be tiring at times. Well, certainly family is important because as we stated earlier in 2008, during your senior year, you were recognized as the top keeper in the PDL and you had the opportunity to train extensively with Major League Soccer Team Real Salt Lake just up the road. After your senior was completed, Gillum was faced with a big decision where he would allow soccer to take him. You had the option to play professionally, an opportunity many people would jump on a heartbeat. However, you chose a different priority and that is getting married <laughs> talk yeah. a little bit about that yeah it was i mean since the 94 world cup right i was in dallas i grew up there and so i was young then and uh going to world cup games that was kind of like the end all right there that was the moment i was like okay this is what i'm gonna do and just like most young kids you, you have aspirations to take it as far as you can and so i did i pushed as hard as i could and and when I was here at BYU, I pushed it as hard as I could. And my, my last two years, I had a lot of success. And my final season, I was training quite a bit down the road with RSL and enjoying that. Um, but the level it takes to to break into the, the pro ranks and the sacrifices that you have to give up there, I, I just didn't know if I wanted to do that and try to have a family. And so the, the next option was becoming a coach. So I just made that transition and, and put the family first and moved on and haven't looked back since. Okay, so besides being the coach of this, quote, semi-pro PDL team at BYU, where you wear the BYU colors on your jerseys, right? I mean, it says BYU, correct? Yep. Okay. Besides that, you also had better goalkeeping, and then you did this merger with World Sports Partners. Explain what is your primary job. Better goalkeeping is a company I started when I was playing. So it's a goalkeeper academy here in Utah. It's been around for, oh, 12 years now. And uh, about 250 goalkeepers train under it each year. Um, and then my brother, uh, who played here at BYU with me, um, he went on to get his master's in sports management at Georgetown. And when he moved back here to Utah, we started a company called World Sports Partners. And our objective was kind of to bridge a gap um, in youth development here, especially in Utah, was that a lot of kids were playing club, uh, but unfortunately we don't have the depth in a coaching pool here. And so a lot of kids, uh, even though they're playing club level, are being coached by volunteers. And so we just want to give back more. And so our company basically helps provide trainings for youth athletes of all ages and all levels. Um, and so we run that. We have about 10 trainers under us. We have a facility here um, 
that we run all these trainings through, and then we go out and help as well. And so the goalkeeping aspect, that job, and uh, many one-offs in there in between as well. In addition to all that work you're doing now with World Sports Partners and that collaboration with Better Goalkeeping, back to the BYU men's soccer job as the head coach. It's an extramural team, not a Division One team like most other sports at the university. So there's a lot right. more that you've got to do, right? So you do everything. You don't have the same luxuries as the other college sports teams. So there's no one hired or provided to oversee equipment, uniforms, game day setups, game day promotions, marketing, press and media coverage. you got to do all of that. Is that right? Yeah, I kind of look back. I remember when I got hired on as a head coach, and it was kind of funny. I had to write my own article to put up um, (laughs) on our website. So, I mean, it's just, it's the world that we live in, and and it's fine. We we deal very well with it. I I always tell people we produce more with less, right, and we'll continue to do that. But the aspect is I'm I'm the head coach as a part-time employee. We have a, a a trainer who's a, a part-time employee, and then I have two assistant coaches who, I mean, you couldn't even count them as part-time employees. One of them is basically a volunteer. And so that's our staff, and we have to manage every aspect of it from websites, social media, scheduling, um, equipment, contracts, partnerships, sponsorships, and, and anything else that the players in the program might need. Um, we have to make sure that we take care of all of it. At what point was it where you're, and you mentioned it already, where you're not going to play other collegiate club teams, you're going to join the PDL. When did that happen? How did that happen, and how's it going? We were in the, the collegiate club level for a while, and, and it took a setup. And uh, what happens here at BYU, and we're a little bit unique, is um, because of the religious aspect, we have players who come here who just want to be at BYU. Um, and they turned down offers to play college soccer, either Division One or Division Two, and they turned down scholarships because they want to come to BYU. And so we had this pool of players who were Division One level players playing in collegiate club, and so the competition just wasn't there for those players. And so we had to find a solution to it, and the PDL was the best solution that we could we could possibly dream of. And so we stepped into that in 03. That's when we bought a franchise to join the PDL. And uh, we've been in it since. And, I mean, I can give you a little bit of the difference. My freshman year was our last year in club. And uh, we went to the national championship game that fall. And then we joined the PDL in the spring. That spring we went to, I think it was 2-15 and 15 in our first season at PDL. And so the level of play was such a massive difference and something that the program really needed to continue to grow. And I think by year two or three, we were hitting, you know, 500. And we've we've stayed either about 500 or above um, since we joined. But that was the whole purpose was to get us onto a platform that challenged the players as much as possible and really pushed them in their soccer abilities. What kind of advantages does PDL give to your program? You know, there's a lot of advantages that come forward by playing in the PDL. Um, one of them is flexibility, and that's the biggest one. You know, we're not set to any type of schedule. We we join in January, and we play all the way through July. And so we have a really long season. We have a really long preseason. We get to take time to build up to games um, and not have to start so soon on games that matter. And so it's a big advantage that we have for developing players at that that the the college age 
Um, we're also not restricted who we get to play against, so we can play a lot of different teams. Also, our calendar allows for different opportunities. This coming August, we have some of the staff and the players who will be traveling to Taiwan to represent the United States in the World University Games. Uh, the U.S. hasn't sent a team to this in, since '97, and one of the reasons is because it's a college-based tournament, and most all of our college players are restricted on when they can play and uh, we don't have that situation and so uh, some of our players and staff get that chance to go play under the U.S. name in Taiwan this coming August. Well fascinating will you also be coaching the team over there then? So I was selected as the head coach to coach that team um, and uh, and so we've we've worked to put together some players that will represent the country as well. All right, certainly, um, as you're aware, Fox Soccer and NSCAA traveled to BYU multiple occasions to cover Jennifer Rockwood and that incredible BYU women's soccer program. And every time we rolled in there, we were so happy to be there. It's such a beautiful place to live and be, and the people are fantastic. So that's got to be part of uh, why you're continuing in this role. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the environment on campus and and around this team. I, I don't think there's anywhere I could get it. Um, and so that definitely keeps me around. You know, like I said, I passed up um, pursuing going professional to take care of a family. And and so as far as a, a coaching position, uh, there's no better place, you know, than to have my kids around this and to have them come out to games and, you know, have have team dinners at my house. And it's a good place to be. And so that for sure keeps me keeps me here. Between coaching, running a business, being a husband and a father, and serving as the assistant financial clerk in his ward, Coach Gillum does it all. Well, how do you rank those? I'm, I'm assuming uh, father and husband number one. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's not always that ranking when it comes to time, but my family comes first, um, and I try to always make that a priority. Um, sometimes I get pulled away during different times of the year, you know, if we're on the road, then it gets a little bit harder. But uh, for sure, they're always going to come first. All right, Coach. If people want to learn more about uh, your team and what you're doing, is there a place they can go to learn more? Follow us on, on our um, our website. You have soccer.byu.edu. Look us up on any social media under BYU Soccer. Come follow us during our season this year. And there's a lot of good good things going around right now for us. season started off well for us. And and this program just continues to grow, and we want to make sure that people are aware of who we are and, and really show kind of the nation the, the platform that we run off of because we think it can fit a lot of different schools and a lot of different entities to do the same thing, and it gives a lot of flexibility for those groups as well. All right, also I want to tell you that uh, by following at World Sports Partners on Instagram, you will see exclusive inside looks at the unique life of a coach, mentor, businessman, husband, and father. Talking about Brandon Gillum, don't miss out on the opportunity to be a part of the Brandon Gillum experience, and he shared a little bit with us here on the NSCA podcast. Fascinating uh, what you're doing out there in the PDL and B BYU men's soccer. Brandon, thanks for being with us on the NSCA podcast presented by Team Snap. I 
appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Brandon Gillum, head coach of the BYU men's soccer team. Not a collegiate-sanctioned program, but a member of the PDL. An interesting take. I enjoyed that. I hope you did, too. A little different take this week on the NSCA podcast presented by Team Snap. Good job, Brandon Gillum. Good job, Jerry McCune from U.S. Club Soccer. Thanks so much to all the good folks at the NSCAA. Ashley Goodrich, Sean Chevrolet, Kurt Austin. I also want to thank Rob Kehoe for hooking us up with Brandon Gillum. It's a collaborative effort here as part of the NSCA podcast. And if you have someone you think might be a great guest on the NSCA podcast, email me at deanclinky at gmail.com. That's deanclinky at gmail.com. Once again, for everybody at the NSCAA, the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, thanks for listening to the NSCAA podcast presented by our good friends, Team Snap. Thinking about a career move? Looking for your next job in the soccer industry? Or just starting out? The NSCAA Job Board is the perfect place to start your search. The Job Board features positions at all levels of the game, from youth clubs to high school and college positions on both the coaching and administrative sides of the industry. If you are a current job seeker or an employer looking to hire, visit nscaa.com jobs to learn more. 